It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Now, just before Christmas, plant-based expert Holly White joined us here on The Best Possible Taste to share her vegan journey and as it is Veganuary, when lots of people go vegan for the month of January, Holly returns tonight to offer her advice and tips. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Holly, happy new year to you. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me tonight. We were in touch just before Christmas, so I trust you had a fabulous Christmas with lots of lovely vegan food to enjoy. Yeah, no, I had an amazing Christmas. Actually, um, one of the things that I particularly enjoyed was um, a beautiful a vegan lemon meringue uh, tart, which was completely delicious. Um, that was from a bakery up in Rush. And then I went up to Antrim for New Year's Eve. And again, their beautiful bakery called Ursa Minor. So um, I'm full of all the full of all the good kind of foodie enjoyment at this stage. And Ursa Minor isn't too far from where I grew up. And I unfortunately, I haven't been there yet. So I definitely must put it on my list to visit in, in 2024. And it was lovely seeing on your social that you'd been yeah. up all of those places that I kind of grew up around, um, like the Carrigarid Rope Bridge and all of that. So it's always fantastic to get good reports from other people. Yes. And what was exciting about that was... Um, I had never been at a bakery just as they open, but of course, naturally they're up early in the morning. Um, and I think we've all come to very much, you know, respect incredible producers. So they opened at nine. We were there at about a minute past nine and it was a beautiful atmosphere because obviously the team already had been working for a couple of hours. The bread was coming fresh out and what's beautiful about there is that they have lovely kind of just artisan bits is what I kind of call it you know the little things that really make your cooking kind of wonderful so that's you know peanut rye or they have beautiful Harry's nut butter as well so you can kind of go there get your beautiful sourdough a lovely coffee and a kind of few little bits to go with it so would highly recommend Fantastic. And of course, if anybody is doing Veganuary at the moment, that's one of the places that they should be sure to visit if they're based up in the north. And you yourself, you've been a vegan. This is your ninth year being a vegan. And I would imagine that the vegan scene, the plant-based scene has changed a lot in the last nine years. But it's much easier to be a vegan now than it was nine years ago. A hundred percent. I think it's also that um, for me, it's literally just become kind of who I am. Like when people start to make a lifestyle choice, there's a transition period and you have to be very patient with yourself with that. You know, we all live busy lives. We have our supermarket shop that we want to kind of be able to get done quick and efficiently. And what I say to people is, you know, if you are adopting a plant-based diet or maybe integrating more plant-based options, you need to give yourself the grace of a little bit more time initially. But I promise you, you do catch up. And like, say, for example, now for me, whether it is meal prepping or going to a restaurant or doing a weekly shop, it doesn't take any more time than it did previously. And it's really important to kind of let people know that, like, you do adjust to this new normal if it is a choice you want to make but there's a buffer time in between when you're kind of figuring out the aisles like I always liken it to um 
I have a little express supermarket nearby me and I can go in and within 15 minutes I have everything I need. And then suddenly I find myself, um, you know, maybe if I am somewhere else and you're in one of these enormous supermarkets and I'm literally just looking for the hummus and it might take me 20 minutes to find it. You know, there can be an overwhelm, but it does settle down. When you first turned vegan, you've written about it on your blog and a lot of your food would have been very carbohydrate dense. It can be quite challenging to introduce enough protein in your diet at the start of the journey. Yes, 100%. There were two things that I felt made a really big um, difference in terms of how I felt overall. Uh, Initially, exactly as you said, I started with dishes that I was very familiar with. So there was kind of a lot of pastas and tomato sauces. And especially at that time, things such as like vegan cheeses, um, if they did exist, they were very sort of plasticky in texture, highly, highly processed food. So um, you know, from a health point of view, they didn't really seem like the right thing to integrate into my diet, but I was really lacking creativity. Um, the first course that I did was with a man called Darren, and he did 10 weeks in, it was called Raw Food Mastery. And one of the things that I noticed was um, he had a very interesting kitchen full of kind of ferments happening all over the place. And he had these enormous jugs of his own fresh live kombucha in the middle of the table. And as he was sort of demonstrating different elements of, you know, raw food preparation and dehydration and things like that we would all be sipping on this incredible kombucha and I really noticed a kind of a seismic shift in how I felt over the course Um, and I think a lot of it was through integrating much more live nutrition so he was showing us how to make sort of kimchi, sauerkraut, you know fresh live coconut yogurt and once I learned about that it definitely became better and then um To your point also, once I widened my variety of how to work with vegan protein sources, um, so that would be your tofu, your tempeh, your lentils, your pulses, and even vegan protein powders, and really making sure that they were in every meal, um, because there's an initial kind of everything is vegan, it's so exciting, um, but then that kind of, I find, has to settle down into a normal routine. um, But exactly to your point, it was the live foods, integrating them. And it was also integrating the different protein sources, but pretty much in every meal that made it a lifestyle I could commit to. And fermentation is really in now, like loads of people are doing it at home themselves. And there are on the supermarket shelves, there's lots of different fermented products available as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting when you look at you know, when it comes to the original, you know, methods of fermentation were to preserve. And it is amazing how they can be extremely cost effective to do at home. The only thing is like, I kind of had a situation where I was making so much kombucha that it's kind of, is, you know, and then you end up with these kind of scobies, which is the bacteria that you use and they're sort of multiplying left, right and center. And I had one situation where um, I had a little bit of a fly attack within my kombucha and I cannot begin to explain how much that turned my stomach so now I do occasionally like I love doing say a quick pickle especially for a salad or you know even adding that onto dishes is wonderful but there are also exactly as you said so many producers like um, there is a place called the Space Jaru and their kimchi is absolutely phenomenal and you can just kind of buy that in a sachet and for me it's twofold one it is much more convenient but two I think it's also really important to support these producers doing these there's an amazing company called banana melon doing vegan cheeses and again that's taking sort of a cashew blend and um you know adding in kind of beautiful flavors like maybe chive or truffle and then kind of fermenting them and it, it's it's quite a specific process but I also think it's really important to support these producers so I tend to buy rather than do that at home now where do you stand on products such as 
vegan sausages or vegan burgers for example to me vegan sausages just doesn't sound right to me I can understand a vegan burger whenever it's made with chickpeas and things like that and yeah certainly something I have had and enjoyed but vegan sausages for example like what is in them yeah and I think you have a really fair point and it's really interesting to me because what I've actually noticed is it's a lot of the um meat producers are actually producing these vegan alternatives to their products so there are certain things whether it is you know pudding or sausages or chicken alternatives or things like that and it's because they have the same seasoning blends that they're applying to meat I think that's a different customer to me like I came at this from a personal health point of view I've really sensitive you know digestion I wanted to feel well in the way that I was eating and these lighter protein sources agree with me I think in social circumstances um say for example if a group of you know, people are in a fast food restaurant. And if someone wants a very like for like swap, I think that's when the sort of the more sort of processed vegan burger alternatives are really, really good. You know, that might be someone who say, for example, for animal welfare concerns, just says, I don't want to eat meat, but I still want that exact same satisfaction that I might get from a fast food restaurant um, processed burger because they can emulate textures. You know, the some burgers, even that you bite into them and it almost looks like blood, you know, visually, texture wise even i suppose kind of bite they're very very similar so that's a different type of a customer for me being honest i am very conscious of my own personal health and exactly to your point like i need more of the chickpeas the pulses and the to be honest a whole foods plant-based diet kind of from very original ingredients you are certified in plant-based nutrition highlights you do know what you're talking about here Where did you study that? I did that with Cornell University. And then one of the things that I was really interested in, because it was kind of a niche element of um, vegan cooking, was I did a vegan ketogenic diploma. So for people who uh, might not be familiar with the ketogenic uh, diet, it's higher fat, medium protein, lower carb. And I really wanted to see, could that be done in sort of a vegan way? So I completed a diploma in that and then became certified in plant-based nutrition from Cornell. Um, I think it was also because I was very, very conscious that um you know in a journalistic capacity you have to be very protective of your name and your reputation and I'm a very heartfelt person and I kind of make got into you know intuitive decisions and while that might be okay for me if you choose to have a platform if you choose to teach if you choose to share it's really important to have credentials to back that up and I would always say that to someone I remember someone saying to me you know why would you pay to get the certification if all the information is just readily available on YouTube but I kind of said well I'm not going to go to a dentist who's just watched YouTube videos it's really really important to have um you know, your skills independently verified. Again, for me, one of the things that I love is that I now work with different chefs across different businesses. So I am an ambassador with um, Compass Ireland and we have really exciting kind of targets in terms of we want to reduce um, animal proteins by 40% by 2025 within a lot of dishes. So, um, you know, it's in working alongside other chefs, it has to be a collaborative effect. And I think people should be open to whether it is your skills or your knowledge being verified independently by other people and also working with other people as well. Nine years ago, somebody working in um, a large company that had its own contract theatre in-house probably would have been hard pushed to get a nutritious plant-based lunch, for example, whereas all the work that you're doing with Compass, and we see it on your social media, that the the contract catering gigs that Compass have 
like the staff are completely spoiled whenever it comes to really delicious, beautiful looking, nourishing plant-based meals. Yeah, it's something I'm really, really proud of. Like I feel grateful that I kind of work within food. So I have maybe, you know, I have time and I'm able to prioritize eating fresh, healthy food. Again, I feel grateful that I grew up in a house where my mom, you know, cooked a lot of our dinners, you know, from scratch. What I notice is, you know, in years gone by, if I had a couple of days where maybe I was out of routine, eating out, maybe kind of a few too many takeaways or snacks or things like that, I really felt it in my energy. So exactly to your point, it is so wonderful to be working with workforces and giving them, you know, fresh cooked from scratch food. Like it's an interesting thing. Um, a lot of people, if you ask them what's their favorite meal, they'll typically, you know, think of something that maybe might have been cooked by a family member or their, you know, mom or their partner because it's cooked with love. And that's what I think with food is when ingredients are freshly sourced and things are, you know, prepared fresh, there is that gorgeous kind of energetic kind of feeling. But again, to your point, what's interesting about working with chefs as someone who actually is vegan, um, a lot of chefs would typically work quite reductively in terms of removing ingredients from a dish. Um, whereas what I try and do is say, okay, well, if we're taking this out, what else can we put in? And one of the dishes that I did for a recent pop-up was this um, incredible, it was a mushroom tagliatelle, but we had these really, really amazing mushrooms that were kind of grown and on blocks of sawdust. And so you beautiful produce. But what I was saying is rather than just doing, you know, mushrooms and pasta, how can we make the sauce, you know, more protein rich? And what you can do is you can actually take silken tofu, cashew nuts, and blend them down. And if you add in a vegan stock and maybe even like a bit of soy or tamari for a bit of kind of a salty flavor, you get a really creamy kind of a dense sauce that not only has protein integrated and kind of in combining this with your tagliatelle, your fresh mushrooms and some herbs, you get a complete dish rather than if it was just mushrooms and pasta, you know, within an hour or two because there's very low protein in that people kind of feel famished and kind of going, the vegan option is delicious, but I, I feel starving. So I try and look for interesting ways of weaving protein into dishes rather than necessarily just kind of adding it on top. And do you have a favorite go-to vegan dish that that you just really love? Definitely. I mean, I think at home, one of the things that I love to do is um, I love to make my own curry paste. And again, I kind of, I think it's a really empowering thing for people to do because taste you know, is so personal and satisfaction again comes from all those kind of boxes being checked. And for some people, a curry isn't a curry unless it blows their mouth off. Whereas other people, they want that subtlety of maybe more kind of lime or citrusy kind of flavors throughout it. So what I try and do is um, a couple of times a year to make up a really good curry paste. And a little tip that I have for people is to pop it into an ice cube tray. And then what I love is just stir fry any vegetables, two or three cubes out of the ice cube tray and some fresh coconut or plant-based milk. And then you kind of have a really lovely curry, but there's versatility in this. Like if you've frozen spinach, throw it in. If you've leftover sweet potato, throw it in. And I love those kind of very nourishing bowls. But the key thing is once you have your curry paste kind of on point, your flavors are good and just work with what you have. At this time of the year, a lot of people are maybe economizing and they are trying to use up what's in the freezer and what is in, in the fridge. And I think um, plant-based dishes are a great way to avoid food waste because a lot of the time it is vegetables or different herbs and things that we have knocking around the place need to be used up. And if they're really on the point of they're going to, to go off um, using them in curries and dishes like that is, is a great way to use them up. 
A hundred percent or else, you know, soups really, really warming as well. And again, it comes down to just having the basics right. Like I think a really good vegan stock, you know, stock cube is important to have. Miso paste is great for adding in flavor. And then, as I said, again, kind of a curry paste is brilliant. But to go back to your point is I'm really conscious of, you know, because people sort of ask me questions about veganism as a lifestyle on the whole. And I always think at the heart of it, to me anyway, it's about kindness. It's about kindness to the planet. It's about trying to be kind and supporting producers who you know, you consciously feel should be supported, whether that is people, you know, trying to, um, you know, maybe grow in an organic way. Um, and it's also about being kind to the resources of the planet and being so conscious of food waste as well. So I'd use a lot of frozen foods and a lot of, you know, any berries or things like that that I'd have that always be in my freezer because things can turn so quickly. Simple things like, say, for example, if people are using avocado, maybe to, you know, for a salad, if you have another half, scoop it out, pop it into the freezer, throw it into a smoothie and it can thicken it. So if you are adopting a plant based or a conscious lifestyle, your freezer does become your best friend. And then to go back to what we said initially, like it's having good staples, like a really good curry paste coconut milk again canned lentils chickpeas things like that because even if i did make a soup you know it's nice to add in some drained cooked chickpeas because it just makes it more hearty and more satisfying and do you use the the liquid from the the chickpeas to make your meringues for example you know i have the thing is at the moment like what I love is I love cooking for lots of people. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I think the ideal amount of people to cook for is between six and eight because it's enough to get into it. Um, but for me, I have to be honest, is that not every single can of aquafaba has been utilized in some in some kind of way as well. Um, but yeah, it's amazing that you can do that. Like you can whip it up, you can add it into cakes. Um, so there's lots of different things. I don't know who discovered it, but it's quite a genius thing. It's mad, isn't it, that somebody yeah. is going to try and turn this into a meringue, for example. You'd wonder where the inspiration came from. Yeah, it's interesting as well, because um, in doing that, what we found, because um, I was working with a chef, and we found you need, it's called Zamkum gum. It's easily kind of accessible, but that helps stabilize um, the texture, because otherwise you can get kind of an inconsistent whip as well with that but also you can make like an aquafaba mayonnaise as well so there's lots of different things that you can do again it's almost like kombucha once you start making it it kind of it gets very voluminous very quickly yeah there's a couple of recipes that it can be used for that connor spacey has in his his book wasted so yes. I, I just happened to be looking at it last night um another chef that you've done a lot of work with is ed cooney in the marion yes. hotel and I, again, I think whenever you see like a five star hotel who has a very specific vegan offering for afternoon tea, like they're very in tune with the trends and what what the market wants. So tell us about the afternoon tea at the Marion. Yeah, I mean, my collaboration with the Marion is something that kind of started as a let's just sort of see. And originally it was supposed to be a veganuary um, month. And how it was, was originally it was three, three and three. So it was three starters, three mains and um, three desserts that people could choose from. And I have to say, it's quite a surreal feeling because I'm kind of naturally quite introverted. And I was kind of making these recipes at home in my kitchen and then to kind of to go and work with the team there, but then to actually go into the restaurant and see people eating them. 
I have to be honest and say it was very gratifying because there can be an insecurity in bringing something kind of different out into the world. But again, to your point, um, the Marion invited me and we had a conversation and Ed was so welcoming. And one of the things that really struck me was um, I remember after a month or two saying to him, you know, thank you so much for being so welcoming to me. And I had um, acknowledged how kind I had found everyone to be. And he said to me, he said, you know, if it's a choice between two people, even if someone is more qualified, we'll always go for the kinder person. And that taught me a lot about how I want to work with other people. You know, we're, we all live busy lives. Stress comes at us in so many different ways. But I think one of the things that I'm kind of learning is there is no excuse not to as much as possible be a kind person to be with. So again, in going into the Marion, they were so welcoming to me. And especially at the beginning, some of the recipes would have seemed quite quirky and quite unusual. Um, but one of the things that they really helped me refine was the presentation there was absolutely phenomenal. And um, the pastry chef, Paul Kelly, who I worked alongside with, what he's done, whether it is with the art tea, which is, you know, renowned, um, in terms of celebrating the beautiful art collections in the Marion, we then integrated um, elements of that into a vegan high tea. And I, I, I feel such pride because I think I always worried that being vegan would isolate me, whereas what we do with the Marion is now the vegan options just sit alongside the tradition. And I, lo I love the idea of food bringing people together, whatever their dietary preferences are. Before Christmas, we talked about if you are going to a restaurant with a group of friends, you do always give the restaurant the heads up that you are vegan so that you're not walking in um, and the kitchen's totally unprepared. And I think more and more kitchens are more open and are better prepared, definitely, than they were nine years ago. Yeah, I mean, and I think, unfortunately for that, though, I think whereas some places have kind of jumped in and they're very proud of their vegan creations and they're quite excited to welcome that um, customer, I, in my experience, I found a few places are, you know, quite the opposite to that. One of the key things that I'm always conscious of whenever I'm working with chefs is I'll always try and say, can we do one phenomenal vegan dish rather than than doing a gluten-free and a vegetarian and a vegan option, you know, because you're coming into a busy kitchen. I don't know a ratio, but I'm guessing it might be one in 20 is a vegan option. You know, you can't be suddenly looking for loads more space or loads more resources. So it's to try and be efficient for kitchens and to check that box. But unfortunately, I've had a few incidences where I have communicated with places that I am vegan whoever handles the booking has that that's not a problem. And then I've kind of turned up on the night and it's, it just seems to be quite confusing for them. Um, and that it is disappointing, but I, I think it's something I'm quite prepared for. And you do have to have a level of self-sufficiency if this is the lifestyle choice that you want to make. Like I teach cooking classes and I really feel if anyone, especially if you're part of a household where others don't share your dietary preferences, you need to be able to um, cater to your own needs as well. Um, but yeah, definitely in terms of restaurants, it's been a little bit disappointing. But then there's really surprising things. Like sometimes, like I flew to Washington um, before Christmas and had like amazing food on the plane. So, you know, it can be surprising. And I think we're, we've all come to realize now that, you know, whether it's food trucks or, you know, a lot of really good food has kind of been much more democratized at the moment, but it can be surprising in sort of fancier establishments where they just can't do it. <laughs> And tell me, there's an event coming up in Avoca that you're involved in. Yes, we have a few events, actually. I'm very excited. So um, 
Ella Mills, who is the co-founder of Deliciously Ella, um, I initially started to follow her journey and her blog, and she now has a phenomenal product range. She has, I believe it's her sixth cookbook coming out, and I will be launching that with her in Avoca. Um, that is on the 23rd. And then in February, I will be doing a meal prepping masterclass within Avoca because uh, to me, meal prepping is that secret. And I think front load your week, you know, on a Sunday night, can you take an hour? Can you roast up some veggies? Can you get your, you know, pulses? Can you make a hummus? Can you make a dip so that you've got a few kind of room temperature assembly plates ready to go um and that's what i really want to show people because uh you know for something to be sustainable it has to be practical so that is a workshop that will be happening in february as well and in the meantime you've loads of recipes on your website and you also have a cookery club yes i do i do um throughout covid i started doing live classes via zoom and at that stage, when we were all at home, the live element worked really well. But what I found was um, as life has opened up, it suits people maybe more to watch classes back. So I have a subscription model on my website where people can join for the year. And every month they are sent um, a pre-recorded class of one recipe that I'm absolutely loving. And the class of the role was under 20 minutes. Um, and then there's a huge backlog of all of the um, back catalog of all of the classes I've kind of previously filmed and loads of recipes and things like that as well. So it's to give inspiration, but it's to not overwhelm people. And what I find works really well is um, classes filmed in real time that people can cook along at home because I really want people to be empowered in their kitchens um, and to be sort of tasting as they go and to have a really positive introduction to vegan food. And that's, I feel, the best way that I can support them on that journey. Well, looking at the website, you know, the three words that you have there that stand out to me are nourishing, delicious and beautiful. And yeah. if going on to your website doesn't inspire somebody to consider a plant-based diet, I don't know what will because everything does look fantastic there. So any listeners who are in the middle of Veganuary, they might be starting to flag a bit. Definitely go on to Holly's website there and you will be inspired to keep going with it and I really appreciate you taking the the time to talk to me tonight Polly and uh, best of luck with the upcoming events. Thank you so much. You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM.